You're listening to a Share Radio podcast. A pension crisis. It's horrendous. Threatening with debt collectors and the bubble that's going to cause financial havoc. Let's talk about the speed with which we are watching this market deteriorate. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? The down traders are standing there watching in amazement. I don't blame them. Goodman. Welcome to Managing My Money, the only show in the world where not only do you learn how to manage your money, but you can come out the other end with a university certificate. Are you sure this is the only show in the world where you can do that? This is Annie. She's joining us on our magical journey of discovery through the weird and wacky world of money. Did you like that? Wacky. I'm not sure. <laughs> She's kindly agreed to let us examine her personal life in painfully explicit detail to tease out the everyday struggles that we all face in managing our money. Just bits of my personal life. Anyway, you're avoiding the question. Is this really the only show in the world where you can get a university certificate? In the world? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, what's it that the beer company used to say? Remember, probably the best lager in the world? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, this is probably the only show in the world where you can work through your money issues, then answer the quiz questions at the end, and apply for a certificate from the Open University to prove you've done the course. And then, and this is the clincher, put said certificate on your actual CV to prove how much you know about finance. Oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> You're reasonably impressed. I am. With I am. I like that, yeah. Okay, good. Because you get the knowledge, but then you also get a certificate, something physical to get your hands on. And it could help with your career prospects. Stick it on your CV. That's right. So in the first episode, you'll remember we talked about planning ahead, setting goals, avoiding the psychological pitfalls when deciding how to spend, save and invest. Mm -hmm. So now, to help us further in our decision making, we're going to use a financial model. A financial model? What? Like Katie Price? Katie Price. Oh, Price! Financial modelling. <laughs> I, yes, get, I, I get it. Very good. <laughs> or... Um, uh, I can think of that. Oh, Tyra Banks. T yes, yes, another good one. Banks, financial. She's a model. Yes, um, but hold on, I'm going to get one. Um, uh, hold on. Uh, no, wait, no, wait. Uh, Come on. <laughs> all right. How about uh, Giselle Bunchen? Ha <laughs> ha. Giselle Bunchen. I have no idea what you're talking about. Because obviously the Bund is the name for German government bonds, debts that's issued by the German government. No? Uh, never mind. I bet the governor of the Bank of England would find that funny anyway. Sure he would. So anyway, time to introduce our simple financial model. It's a financial model and it's looking good. It will help you spend and save more like you should. Okay, so this is how it works. Stage one, assess the situation. Stage two, decide on a financial plan. 
Are there lots of stages? There's, there's four stages. Okay, Is that I'm too happy. many for no, you? No, it's fine. Sorry, carry on. You can deal with four. Yeah, four. Good. Fine. Stage three, act on the plan. Stage four, review the plan. Well, let's take one of your goals, Annie, which we were talking about in the previous episode. I said I wanted to own my own home. Uh, I wanted to get some private health care in the future when I'm a bit older. OK, so let's start with the goal of owning your own home then. Stage one. Stage one. Assess the situation. Let's clarify and prioritise your goals. What kind of home are you looking for, would you say? OK, I'm not greedy. I don't want a mansion. Probably a two-bed flat in a quite a nice area. OK, so you want a decent size and a decent area. Those are your goals. Which are you most willing to compromise on? The size or the area you're going to live in? OK, I'd like to spread myself out a bit. So probably, uh, I'd say the area. OK, so that'll help narrow down the price range we're looking at. So then you can seek out advice from estate agents and the internet to work out a realistic budget. Then you need to find out what kinds of mortgages are out there, mm-hmm. how much they cost, what size deposit. And once you know that, then you need to look at your resources and constraints. You make that sound really easy. <laughs> there are so many mortgages out there, aren't there? I know this. I know this for a fact. The point is, if you're working in stages, at least you know what you're doing at each point in time. All right, yep, yeah, fine. So chunk by chunk. So once we've got all the information together, what's the next stage? Stage two. Stage two. Decide on a financial plan. The budgeting we did in the previous episode will help us work out what you can afford to save with your current commitments and whether you need to perhaps make any adjustments to your spending or saving if you're not quite on track to get a decent deposit together. For example, maybe you can choose a different savings account or a different kind of investment to get you to your goal more quickly, but without taking too much risk. Okay, decisions made. That's stage two. What about stage three? Stage three. It's time to act. There's no point sitting around just making financial plans all day if you never actually put them into action. So stage three is making those adjustments to your budget, moving your money into better accounts and so on. Right, good. That's the hard bit, getting it actually done, putting it into action. Stage four. And stage four, review the situation, like Fagan. Fagan? You know, like Fagan, uh, Oliver Twist's kindly mentor. Is Fagin the best financial role model, though? You know, these days they put unpleasant labels on people like Gangmaster. <laughs> That's exactly what he was. Fine. He cared for those boys. He did not care for those boys. They're all dirty. Do you see their little faces? I'm reviewing the situation. Have I budgeted enough to buy a flat? All my trials and tribulations Will it be big enough for me to swing a cat? I've moved savings to high-interest accounts And major all my checks don't bounce And send my boys to raise some cash By stealing jewellery I can stash But though I try, you see house prices go sky high for me I think I better think it out again Oh, so poor old Fagin. So basically, no matter how much the Artful Dodger steals for him, he just can't get together a big enough deposit to buy a flat in London. My heart bleeds. Exactly. It's tough out there. You know, Mm. you can steal as much as you want. (laughs) Yeah. You can steal until the cows come home. He's never going to get on that housing ladder. (laughs) Story of our times, Annie. It is. Story of our times. But as he says at the end there, 
I think I better think it out again,、mm-hmm. and that's the way this financial model works. You see, you assess your situation in stage one, you make your decisions in stage two, you act on the decisions in stage three, you review your situation in stage four to see if your actions have done the trick, and then you go back to stage one to reassess and see if you can improve on your financial plan. So you go round and round the stages like that forever. Yeah. <laughs> But each time you go round, you tweak your plan, and it gets better and stronger, and you develop your financial decision-making muscles. There are muscles for that. Yeah, and let me tell you, the girls go crazy for a guy with a very powerful financial decision-making muscles. Do you know what the thing is, though, Glenn? This is to do with money. So I think people are a bit—I'm a bit afraid—to make the wrong decision with money. Hmm. Hmm. I don't want to lose a lot, do I, by making the wrong decision? But that's why the discipline of the cycle, the discipline, the discipline of, of the, the cycle. cycle. That's why you need that kind of discipline to force yourself into making any kind of decision in、okay. the first place. We all get paralysed by financial decisions. I've put things off for years that I should have got sorted out. You know, leaving money in the wrong account for years because I can't face dealing with it. Stuffing it. mattresses with it. Yes. Yes. That you do actually do that, do no, you? No, not me. <laughs> But people do. People do. Here's Share Radio's Sarah Pennells with a clever tip to help you stop thinking and start acting. One way to combat the fear is to focus on your goals. Thinking about what you'll be able to do once you've got your finances sorted out can help steel your nerves for the task in hand. Perhaps you dream of the holiday of a lifetime without the credit card bills when you come home. Maybe you want to retire abroad or buy a new car. While you're getting down to the nitty-gritty of regular budgeting, just keep reminding yourself what it's all for, what your financial goal is. Once you know what you have coming in and going out, you'll probably find it quite an empowering exercise. And as time passes and you start to get closer to your goal, it should become easier to keep your budgeting on track, and your fear of the B word will disappear completely. So there you have it, Annie. Well, anyway, however much you're worried about getting financial decisions wrong, at least console yourself with the fact that you never get things as wrong as the two bank robbers. You know the two bank robbers? No. Well, you're about to know the two bank robbers. Hey, Ben. Oh, what's up, Bill? Come in here and shut the door, quick. What's up, Bill? You look all hurt. Oh, Ben, remember that bank we tried to rob last week? The HSBCD. Of course I remember. I only just got out of the clink, you know, Anna. Well, we failed, didn't we? But not any more. No, mate. I got hold of this newfangled top secret document here that tells you how to make money. Here. Financial planning model. Yes. Well, I think this will work, Bill. Well, of course it'll work, you fool. I half inched it off some idiots called managing my money. Now we are going to manage the bank's money. Yes, you think so? Shut up. Right. So. We've got to assess the situation, decide on a plan, act on the plan, and then review the plan. What did we forget last time? All of it. Exactly, all of it. Right. Let's rob that bank again, but not get caught. The new plan is: we are the police. Hello, hello, hello. We're the police. We are the police. Hello, hello, hello. Are you sure? 
Of course I'm sure. Why do you think I'm wearing this out here? Look at his helmet. Anyway, weird. There's been a break into the vault recently. We just need to inspect the vault, please. Thank you, please. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, 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 please. Thank you. Do you have any identification? You don't look like the police. It's <laughs> identification. Now, what do we need with that? Identification with the police. Look. I've just pushed a button. The actual police are on their way. I thought you should know. <laughs> You're bluffing. There's no way you have those secret buttons. <laughs> I do so have the secret button. Oh, damn. <gasps> All right, here's my ID. That's a Waitrose reward card. Ben! Right. So, let's review the plan, shall we, Ben? Um... Where do you think the plan went wrong? We did not assess the situation properly. No, Ben. The plan went wrong 34 years ago when your poor unhappy mother brought you into this godforsaken world. Oh, I just thought we needed the ID and then we'd have been in. Oh. I liked your police voice, by the way. Shut it. I just need to have another read of this financial planning model. I know the answer's in here somewhere. That is not a cracker, Ben. What a pair of clowns, eh? What a pair of idiots. I'm not sure they were using the financial plan in the way in which it was intended. No. They... But I'm still kind of glad they made an effort. Are you a tiny bit proud of them? I am. They, okay. they, yeah, they got it wrong the first time, but, you know, he's going to review the situation and um, get bigger and stronger financial muscles as when a result. When he's out of prison in 50 years' time. That's right. That's cool. right. Anyway, Glenn, I've been thinking, aren't we perhaps looking at this all from a bit of a narrow perspective? How so? Well, in real life... Aren't there often bigger factors that affect your plans that could completely derail these kind of simple calculations? Well, that that is true. And you do need to try to factor those in, build yourself up some financial buffers, uh, some slack in your calculations to allow for things like cultural and social factors and also unexpected factors. For example, you might have relatives who get ill and need financial support or lots of your time and care. Uh, You might be affected by religious factors. For example, the taking or paying of interest is forbidden under Sharia law. So religious Muslims have to arrange special kinds of bank accounts. And of course, as social factors are affecting your decisions, your decisions are also affecting society. Really? Am I that important? My decisions affect society. You are a very important person, Annie. (laughs) Far more important than you give yourself credit for. What I'm trying to say is if lots of people are making similar decisions to you, it causes a wave that affects the whole economy. If lots of people want to buy flats like you do, Mm. then it puts upward pressure on house prices. Or if lots of people go on spending sprees, then it boosts the economy. Shops might start putting up their prices, which can cause inflation. Or in really extreme situations, loads of people making similar decisions at once can cause financial bubbles which tend to pop, uh, like the property bubble in the 80s, which led to a price crash, or the dot-com shares bubble in the late 90s. Remember that one? Yeah, it was a huge crash after the bubble. Oh, yeah. Managing my money, 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 my money. OK, let's talk about what can cause us to make bad financial decisions. Do you remember, Annie, in the previous episode, we talked a bit about time preference. I asked you whether you'd prefer £100 today 
or £110 next year. <laughs> and this is what you said. For a tenor interest, I'm definitely, I am taking that £100 and running with it, running with it, running with it, running with it. Well, I get what you're saying, Glenn, but I think I'd still make the same decision because I'm probably a little bit greedy. OK, so there's a very obvious problem here, which is that you have to suffer a very immediate pain of not spending that £100 right now on something you actually want. And in exchange, all you get is a rather distant and uncertain promise of £110 in the future. So obviously that's one good reason why making the right choice for the future can be pretty difficult. I agree. And some future decisions can seem so daunting that people actually put them in a a mental category, things I will never be able to afford to do. And unfortunately, it looks like a lot of younger people are putting buying a house into that category now. I think that's really true. There are so many scare stories that every single day, without fail, in the news you hear a story about property. Property prices rising, young people not being able to get on the housing ladder. And it can cause a bit of fear as well. And you just think, well, I'm reading this here and now, and actually, what is the point in even looking into it? Because I won't be able to afford it. And if you're thinking there's a good chance that I'm not going to be able to afford it ever, then what's the point in keeping this lump of money that I've been building up each month when I can instead splurge it on a big holiday or a really cool um, Hummer car? (laughs) (laughs) Who buys Hummers? You can't live in a Hummer. You could. That's the irony. You could could live with your entire family in a Hummer. Especially if it had those uh, that horn that goes... <laughs> the kids would love it. Hours of fun. And it depends on who's around you. If you've got people around you as well who are just like, God, oh, just spend the money. Live for today. Don't you worry about... T- you might get hit by a bus. See, that's important too. Who, do you surround yourself with those people? Oh, no, but I do know people like that who are just, you know, live for today and, and don't worry about tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. And that's bound to affect your decisions. Well, I surround myself with people who say, don't live for today. Have a bad time today. <laughs> live for 2059. Yeah, that's your year, Glenn, they yeah. say. <laughs> but anyway, enough of that miserable discussion. Let's play Who Wants to Be a Little Bit Better Off Than They Are at the Moment. For six pence, can you answer this question correctly? Six pence? Well, it's better than nothing, isn't it? I bought a Twix earlier on. It's all I got left in my pocket now. Oh, my Lord. Right, OK. Just just give me the question. Annie, this is for 6p. If you needed to borrow £100 for one year, which of the following loans would offer you the best value? (laughs) Loan A, you borrow £100 and at the end of the year you pay back £115. Loan B. You pay a £5 arrangement fee up front and then equal monthly instalments for a year. The interest rate is 8% per annum. Loan C. Equal monthly instalments with an interest rate of 7% per annum and a £3 final charge. And Loan D. There are no repayments for the first six months and there are equal monthly repayments with a 3% per month interest charge. Right, choose one of those loans. Oh my goodness. Well... I'm all for a bit of simplicity. I would rather go for loan A, what was it, borrow 100 and then at the end of the year pay back 150. I'll do that. You're going to stick with that answer? I'm sticking with that. I don't want to phone a friend. I don't want to do anything. I'm going for that. That's your final answer, loan A. For 6P, yes it is. Well, Annie, you may be surprised to hear that the last two loans were much better value. Are you kidding me? They're so complicated, though. I know they were complicated, but you would end up with more money at the end of the year if you had gone for one of the more complex ones. But most people 
would probably ignore those options because, as you say, they're too complex. It's difficult to work out how much you'd actually be paying. You have to sit down with a pen and paper and work it out. Exactly. It's the faff factor that puts people off, including myself. And that's how we end up paying over the odds. So we're inclined to either go for the simplest options or just carry on the way that things are. And speaking of carrying on the way things are, here's another question for you. This one's for whatever's left in my pocket. So let's have a look. Oh, this is going to be good. What an incentive. OK, this question is for a used post-it note with pocket fluff all over the sticky section. Are you ready? Let's play Who Wants to Be a Little Bit Better Off Than They Are at the Moment? <clears throat> Imagine you inherit £20,000, Annie. Oh, lovely. The inheritance comes to you in the form of £5,000 in cash and £15,000 in shares. You don't intend to spend the money in the near future, so would you A. Increase the amount invested in shares, B. Make no changes, or C. Reduce the amount invested in shares. Okay, so my gut instinct, because I know very little about shares, I would probably... You're not going to like this, but I think I'd probably make no changes. B. I'd go for B. Option B. Final answer? Final answer, Chris. Glenn. Most people would probably go with B as well. We all feel pretty uncomfortable about making changes when the best way forward isn't very clear-cut. And obviously, in this Mm. case, you've got all these shares... You don't know quite whether they're a good thing to have or not, but it's easier rather than deciding, should I have more shares or should I have less shares? You think, well, they're already in the shares. I'll just stick with that. But the the interesting thing is that if you didn't have any shares and someone gave you £20,000, would you put 15000 of it in this random share that you just happen to have inherited? No. Exactly. So it's a perfect example of people just taking the default option. Yeah, exactly. Shares. It's just like being paralysed by fear because you're not quite sure what to do. So, by exploiting our tendency to stick with what we have, governments call it giving us a nudge in the right direction. What? Do you mean like what they've done with pensions? So, where employees now have to opt out of the work pension scheme instead of opting in? Yes. So, everybody's automatically enrolled in a pension scheme unless they make a deliberate decision to opt out. It's financial style. Financial style. Well, that's pretty much it for this episode. How's it been for you? So let me get this right. So this episode is all about thinking about how you would go about making financial decisions, actually following the steps to make those decisions. And if you get it wrong, that's not the end of the world because you're trying to build your financial muscles to make better decisions in the future. That was very good. Thanks. We've also looked at some of the psychological pitfalls that can trip people up when they're trying to make financial decisions. And if you're aware of those, then it makes it all the easier to avoid them. I'm excited now. I want to sort out this uh, financial plan. What are we going to be doing in the next episode? We're going to be looking at income and wealth and the distinction between the two. What's the difference between your wealth and your income? And also taking a look at inflation, which is obviously a term that we hear all the time in the Mm. news. But a lot of people don't truly understand how it works and how it has such an enormous effect on their long term wealth. We're going to clear that up once and for all. Can't wait. This course, Managing My Money, lasts eight weeks. 
Each week consists of two episodes. Now, this is episode two. If you've also listened to episode one, you're now ready to head over to shareradio.co.uk and try the quiz to test all your newfound knowledge and wisdom. And if you do that each week, at the end of week eight, you can be awarded an official Statement of Participation Certificate from the Open University. Oh, my goodness. It will show that you've completed an official university course on financial planning, and you can put it on your CV. So there. Awesome. Thanks for listening and thank you to all of the team who've helped to make all of this possible, (laughs) particularly Annie. A big, (laughs) big thank you to you, Annie. Thanks so much. Pleasure. See you next time. (laughs) 